0: From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Barry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we take a closer look at stories from our radio newsrooms across the nation. Today on Deadline is looking at the crisis at the border. In fiscal year 2023, Customs and Border Patrol reported that 3.2 million migrants crossed the southern border into the United States. That's almost 500,000 more than in 2022, and nearly 1.3 million more than in 2021. Conservatives have continued to push for Democrats and President Joe Biden to pass legislation allowing the flow of migrants, which they describe as a catastrophic situation. Texas officials say illegal immigration cost its taxpayers nearly $13.4 billion a year. That state has been sending migrants to places like Chicago. In the Windy City, one child died from an illness at a migrant shelter this week, and several more were transported to hospitals. It's a bad situation, one migrant told CBS7 in Chicago. There are a lot of sick children. Florida, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and more are also struggling to come to terms with the influx of migrants—financially, in terms of housing, in terms of health care, in terms of education, and more. But talks for a solution grew stale in Congress. South Carolina Senator and top Republican Lindsey Graham said on Meet the Press last week that both sides were not anywhere close to a deal as Congress headed into its holiday break. Republicans are calling for a variety of new policies, including metrics used to trigger the expulsion of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border, which in turn would effectively bar migrants from seeking asylum, mandatory detention, and curbing the use of parole for migrants who cross in the U.S. Parole allows them to temporarily live here on a case-by-case basis, according to a CNN report. While the issue at the border has been ongoing through multiple presidents, this moment could be groundbreaking since pressures mount for a solution. Aaron Reichland Melnick is policy director at the American Immigration Council. He joined Odyssey to discuss current policies for asylum seekers and what could change.
1: Okay, so there are a lot of things tangled up with each other in this funding to Ukraine, protection at the border. Republicans are saying this deal is about tightening border security, cleaning up the country's asylum laws. But what what are the potential impacts of this deal if one is reached?
2: First of all, this is a deal that Republicans have been pushing in exchange for their support for funding uh, Ukraine. And they have said that they will not vote for any funding for Ukraine unless some there is a crackdown in the border. And so what we're looking at right now are a potential bucket of policies that could amount to the largest expansion of uh, border enforcement in generations. And we're looking at crackdowns on asylum, uh, increasing the standard for people to pass asylum interviews, a massive increase in detention authority, as well as cutting uh, parole, which is a form of legal entry into the United States that the Biden administration has extended to, among others, Ukrainian refugees fleeing the war. And-
1: It seems unfortunate, though, that a lot of the people who are seeking asylum, which you can do in the United States, are getting mixed up with the massive amounts of illegal, the influx of illegal immigrants coming into the country. Do you agree there does need to be some sort of crackdown, or do you feel like the asylum seekers are going to be collateral damage if this deal gets done?
2: Well, we know for sure that asylum seekers will be collateral damage because the proposals that are being floated include simply banning asylum to every person who comes to the border, no matter how strong their claim is. And that's why we think that this is the wrong approach here. The one thing that we haven't done is actually attempt to fund the system so that it can quickly determine who qualifies and who doesn't. So we think rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's actually put the resources into the system to make it work, hire new judges, get new asylum officers, and ensure that those who qualify get a decision in less than five years And those who don't qualify get a negative decision also in less than five years.
1: So, you know, our immigration policies have been broken for what seems to be decades. It's not one party or the other. This is spanned across multiple presidents. But people are talking about the risk for President Biden and his reelection campaign if he does make this deal with Republicans. Is there a risk or is there an upside to this?
2: I think there's definitely a risk, and that's because a lot of the policies that we're discussing right now aren't going to have any significant impact on border crossings. There will, of course, be a short-term drop in crossings as migrants take a wait-and-see approach, just like we saw in May uh, when Title 42 ended and migrant crossings plummeted. Uh, but then over the next few months, crossings began rising and rising and rising. And today they're back to the level that they were before Title 42 ended. So any new policy would see a similar impact. And that would mean that around June, July or August next year, we would see border crossings right ahead of the election, just as high as they are now, uh, and with more calls to, you know, to go against the president. And at the same time, we would see that the laws themselves had changed for the first time in nearly 30 30 years, in ways that a lot of the president's base would be unhappy about.
0: Republicans fighting for tighter border restrictions are trying to use it as an incentive for Democrats who are focused on finding ways to help the nation's allies currently engaged in war. Republicans are tying the two together, spending on border security and spending on Ukraine and Israel. Alexandra Philandra, a political science professor at the University of Illinois, joined Odyssey to discuss the compromises both sides may have to make.
3: What do you see as the significance of tying this uh, border funding to uh, Ukraine and Israel, to the border po- policy, uh, m- merging those together, if you will?
4: I think it's, um, it's very astute on the part of biden it's the only way that he has to get what he wants which he recognizes and probably Correctly, that the foreign policy goals of dealing with Ukraine and dealing with the Middle East are uh, the primary goals. Right now, for the U.S., those are really, really serious problems. And he is willing to sacrifice the progressive immigration agenda for his foreign policy goals. And it is, on his part, it makes some sense. This is the ideas that are being. Uh, considered in the Senate right now, are quite astonishingly Right wing It it is a major Shift to the right Compared to where The Democratic Party Has been Over the past Like 30 years However We are seeing Already a softening On Democratic On the Democratic Side On immigration Because basically Democratic cities Have been affected By the movement Of asylum seekers Into the cities And Democratic states Have uh, been very upset By the lack Of federal support So already The Democratic public has been moving into a more restrictive direction on immigration. So Biden expects that this is not going to harm him uh, as much as it's going to help him in the middle, even if it loses him some progressive young people and uh, some people of color.
2: It looks as though some of the conservatives in Congress want to rewrite or tighten the rules on who can seek asylum and the criteria for seeking that. What are your thoughts on it?
4: It's a very restrictive policy that is being pursued. Basically, they are thinking about um, making permanent uh, Title 42, which is uh, a rule that Trump instituted during the pandemic, which essentially requires asylum seekers to be in, to stay in Mexico and and basically wait until their process their applications process through that. Also, they um, they want to have expedited removal of undocumented uh, people from the U.S. Uh, for the entire territory rather than the border itself. These are quite extreme policies and also very costly, some of them, for the U.S. So, for example, one of the ideas that is being uh, discussed is that all asylum seekers and undocumented will have to be put into detention. That's um, that's costly. Detention costs a lot of money. So uh, I don't know if there is enough appetite in the American public to pay for all of that. Um, but certainly, all these ideas that are being considered are way beyond what the Reagan administration or the Clinton administration in the 90s considered. And the Clinton administration policies were very, very restrictive in, uh, in 96. So um, this is going to be even more restrictive than uh, the legal immigration Reform Act of 1996.
3: What are the asylum uh, criteria rules right now? I mean, it's not like people wanting a better job in the U.S. can just apply for asylum.
5: It's pretty strict already.
4: It's very difficult because you have to prove that you have a credible fear of persecution. And the criteria for that are very hard to match. And not only are they hard objectively, without a lawyer, uh, which people at the border and who are asylum seekers are not entitled to, it is very difficult to actually convey your credible fear of persecution in the context of um, being at the border in front of a border agent. Because imagine you have like traveled and walked for days, you don't speak English necessarily, and you're in front of an authority figure who's asking you questions that are not necessarily easy to answer. So to tell them your story is not necessarily enough to meet the criteria for asylum. So very few people actually get asylum. It's a very hard road to um, basically legalization of legal access to the U.S. Very, very few people actually get asylum. So most of of these cases are denied anyway. To hold them for months or maybe for years at the border until these cases are adjudicated, when we don't have enough officers for the adjudication, and basically it would be an even bigger backlog, um, it's quite punitive.
0: Biden has asked conservatives to continue offering aid to Ukraine as a Russian invasion of the country approaches the two-year mark. He's also asked for aid to go to Israel, which is fighting the terrorist organization Hamas. But how do Ukrainians feel about their future being used as a bargaining tactic in an immigration policy standoff? To learn more, Odyssey in Los Angeles spoke with Sofia, who lived in southern Ukraine near the Sea of Azov, an area that is now under Russian occupation.
5: Is there an erosion of morale uh, among uh, people that that you associate with people that, you know, Uh, because, as I pointed out in the introduction, uh, there does seem to be, uh, if not waning of support for Ukraine questions increasingly being raised in the U.S. and even Mm -hmm. in Western Europe about continuing to support uh, the military Mm -hmm. efforts there?
3: Well, yeah, I, I, you know, it's a very difficult question because it, the situation here in Ukraine is quite tense and stressful, of course, and. In recent months, we have seen that the discussion around support for Ukraine changed a lot. And what, from what I can see here, we understand that this is largely connected with the pre-election races in uh, in the U.S. And we saw a similar situation recently, as you said, in Eastern Europe, for for instance, in Poland, where the desire to win elections led to speculations against the background of Russia's war against uh, against Ukraine. And what what I think that many in Ukraine think that the threat of a decrease in support for both Ukraine and uh, other countries like Israel may indicate that the U.S. doesn't want to go into a direct so-called confrontation with Russia because perhaps the the U.S. doesn't have enough power to respond to Russia. But I don't want to think that This is the reason I just from from what we can see right now is that Russia is preparing for a long war and they are getting ready to to fight for a long time. And this is very confusing for us, seeing that U.S. is not reacting to this uh, threat because clearly Russia
5: would. Yeah, right. But but let me ask you something. The last time uh, we talked and and when we talked to others in Ukraine throughout this time, Just about everybody was very confident. When asked the question if Ukraine is going to win against Russia and just about everybody that I can remember, including you, gave a very quick response. Yes. Is that certainty still there?
3: The certainty is still there. The question is only how much time it will take, because as I said before, and I'm, I'm going to repeat this once again, we have no other options but to win, because this is the question whether we are going to live or die. We had like five, eight. Air alarms in Kiev, in and in Ukraine today. Air defense shut down, ballistic missiles over Kiev. So uh, the question: What is going to happen if uh, Russia continues to fight in Ukraine? Uh, is very the, the answer is very clear. They they want to destroy Ukraine as a country and destroy most of our citizens. Because that's why. We are certain that we are going to win because we are fighting for our homes and for our lives. But when it comes to, to the the question how much time it will take, of course, uh, we understand and we are very helpful for all the support U.S. provided uh, to us before. But now we're, we're just uh, starting to understand. We know that we're over this uh, huge enemy. Uh, it, uh, I mean, it may take a little longer than we thought when the situation with uh, our support was more clear.
0: With millions of migrants coming across the southern border and thousands of civilians dying in Ukraine, Israel, and Gaza, all sides of the political spectrum agree on one thing. Something needs to be done. Meanwhile, pundits on both sides accuse Congress of playing politics and pandering to cameras with meaningless sound bites while lives are at stake. And the American public is paying attention. A recent poll from Statista found that the approval rating of the United States Congress in November was a measly 15%. With lawmakers making their return from the holidays, the clock will continue to tick. And it's no exaggeration to say that lives are on the line. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Berry, and I want to say thanks for listening to On Deadline, Odyssey's serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed.